turning the microphone on. I'm going to talk about the Super Bowl as the topical top three. I'm just going to talk for, let's go with three minutes just on things from this week. The Super Bowl already, it's crazy how fast things seem to go. Super Bowl feels like very old news already, and it's only been four days. I don't know what it is. I guess it is just like that's how fast news cycles are now that with social media, like it was Super Bowl, talk about it Monday, and then it's old news by Tuesday. Anyway, three lessons from the Super Bowl. First one, Odell Beckham Jr. The lesson I have here is keep going and also that farmer's story of we'll see. It's that story where there's the farmer and I think I've told this like multiple times on the podcast, but all these things happen to the farmer, good and bad, good and bad. And then someone keeps asking, saying like, hey, that was great. And he says, we'll see. Or like, oh, that must be terrible. And he says, we'll see. So that is kind of the lesson, I guess. All, all of the, the ups and downs of Odell Beckham Jr.'s career. And now it's definitely one of those that is a great thing that's happened. He won a championship. And just half an hour before that, he had a bad step, hurt his knee and was pulled out of the game. And then before that, he had a touchdown. And that's all just in one game. Anyway, I'm happy for all those kids in New York that I would see who dyed their hair like Odell Beckham Jr. Number two, this is similar, but it's just about narratives and how one game can really change the narratives but then that there's a narrative over the course of a career and of course this is joe burrow matthew stafford burrow has years to redeem himself but definitely like leading into the week it was just like not quite like a core gonna be a coronation like it was no no one was saying like that's oh, it's a given that he's gonna win this game and then with matthew stafford just struggling to win in the playoffs for years. And now he's had the chance toward the end of his career, late in his career at least, he's redeemed himself, has a championship, and like they say, can't take that away. And this also reminds me of another thing called, it's something like Super Bowl goals versus Hall of Fame goals. Or maybe it's like championship goals versus Hall of Fame. I I think it's Super Bowl goals versus... Hall of Fame goals, where this is something, I think I heard it on the Russell Brunson podcast, and I'm sure he's probably put it in one of his books, but it's having these longer-term goals that are also team or like solo sort of things, that you should have a Super Bowl goal. This is a team thing. If you have a team, which I don't, you work towards winning whatever your form of a championship is in whatever it is that you're doing with the team. I guess you could say like solo as well, that it's kind of like a one-year goal as far as long-term or like say like one to three to five years where, yeah, there's going to be some things that you, you, it's those teams, you know, they're not going to, they're not looking to win a championship this year. They, They need to take some steps over multiple years and then they can get to that goal. That's the Super Bowl goal. And then you also want to have Hall of Fame goal. This is what you do over the course of your career to feel good about, feel satisfied, feel like you've achieved something. You've made it to the Hall of Fame. Sometimes this does require winning with the team. Getting those Super Bowl goals will help you get to the Hall of Fame goal. And 
there are ways to the Hall of Fame without winning a championship. It's just harder. Anyway, this is not like a sports podcast. I'm terrible at this. But this next one is just about, of course, like Super Bowl and the commercials. There was the Coinbase ad, Larry David ad, LeBron ad. And I guess it is just this idea of recognizing what kind of competition you're in. You might be in a winner-take-all sort of thing, which I would say commercials with the Super Bowl, You, it is sort of winner-take-all that on Monday, one of them will probably be a clear winner. It's probably the Coinbase ad. And then especially like amongst the crypto commercials, it's like one of them stood out. And then the thing, like the other side of that is all of the electric vehicle commercials. None of them stood out, I would say. And then the other thing beyond that is you can't watch one of those commercials without thinking of Tesla. So at this point, Tesla has kind of won that mind share, at least for the next few years. Maybe I'm wrong about that. And it's only, it's, this is the beginning of the end or something of when you think electric vehicle, you think Tesla, but they have a clear lead right now. And of course, can't blame like companies for running these advertisements. Like that's the start of it. They have to uh, keep doing that. Like you just do that over and over to create more mind share. But moving on again, it's been a few days. Seems like old news. A good halftime show. Every, everyone's made the comments about just feeling old. And what I, I was texting my brother about this, they did California Love, which is from 1995. Going backwards from there, if you went that far back from 1995, now you're talking about at the 1995 Super Bowl doing a song from 1968. Actually, that was one of the book notes here that I had. So these are the three books that I'm going to talk about. These are books that I've been reading lately or have finished reading. Number one is The 90s by Chuck Klosterman. Number two is Nitro by Guy Evans. Number three is The Daily Laws by Robert Greene. So this first one, The 90s by Chuck Klosterman, it's, I think it's like his like 12th book or something. Always read, I I say always read, but I haven't even read all of his books. I've read probably all the ones that he's released in the last five years and, and plus some more of the earlier ones. Just enjoy how he thinks and talks about things and is able to talk about pop culture with, he can look at anything through the lens of pop culture. So yeah, just looking back at the 1995 Super Bowl and then thinking, oh, it's like if they did a song then from 1968, that's kind of what it was like for just timeline wise for Dr. Dre to do California Love. And then I looked up the 1995 Super Bowl. A description in the video says the halftime show was titled Indiana Jones and the Temple of the Forbidden Eye. And they did this great thing where they mix this live action show. It looks like one of those shows you'd see, you'd sign up, like there'd be showtimes at the amusement park, Disneyland, Universal Studios. They'll do these live shows. It was that, but then they mixed in Tony Bennett patty labelle and actually i did feel better because tony bennett did a song from 1962 so even older so they actually did have people performing older songs in the past and i don't know why that's comforting but it is it doesn't make me any younger and it's fine good halftime show and then it is this whole thing of 
wondering if I'm like getting older or if culture is changing when things seem odd or anyway, here's a quote from the book, the nineties by Chuck Klosterman. He says that evolution is easy to comprehend. Unlike the profound structural dissonance between consumer life in 1990 and consumer life in 2020 person native to the 21st century can't really reconcile why anyone would pay 1325 for 12 fixed songs that could only be played on specific high-end electronics serving no other functions the majority of all recorded music can now be instantly accessed anywhere for less than ten dollars a month that's the end of the quote and yeah this book is I, i'm I kind of like just started it, so maybe like 30 or 40 pages in and it's about just like looking at all of the things in the 90s and we're far enough removed from it that a lot of it seems very wacky but then also you'll see like things that rhyme with uh, the current day current situation and it is it does just capture this time before internet culture took over and i guess like mentioning the super bowl at the beginning everyone is watching the super bowl but they have their phone out as well and you're just constantly looking at what other people are thinking and that was one of the sadder things i guess about the internet coming around or more specifically like twitter really to be specific is you can anytime you like think of something funny or a, a joke about something that's happening you can look on twitter and see that someone's already made exactly the same joke and there's like dozens of people that have made the same joke and there was a time when you couldn't look this stuff up. And what one of the points that Chuck Klosterman has here in the book, The 90s, is just going to dinner and then there's a debate about something that happened. And then you can't look it up. So it's pretty much just consensus at the table. And that's how like things go for decades. Incorrect. And he even, yeah, he mentions it as the Mandela effect. It's the same like Bernstein Bears thing. Which gets a nice mention also in Peacemaker, but I'm not going to talk about that. Next up, the book that I've been listening to at night to go to sleep, my lullaby for the past couple weeks is called Nitro, The Incredible Rise and Inevitable Collapse of Ted Turner's WCW by Guy Evans. Good book covering the history of WCW Nitro. My favorite tidbit is just this. It's like a few sentences, but where did the name Monday Nitro come from? So when it was released, TNT still had rights to the NFL's Sunday. I didn't mean for this to be like a whole Super Bowl sort of football thing, but TNT had the rights to the NFL Sunday night game, and it was called Sunday Nitro. And Ted Turner kind of just made naming decisions for TNT for, you know, his network and it was just like, yeah, let's brand WCW and the NFL together. Let's go with Monday Nitro on this. Not like explicitly putting them side by side, but Sunday Nitro is NFL football. Monday Nitro is men in scripted fights. So yeah, this was a fun book uh, just to revisit things. I watched a lot of Monday Nitro growing up as a teenager, the whole Monday Night Wars sort of thing. And then, yeah, just living through it week to week, Nitro was better for more than a year and one of my favorite videos to watch I, I was just pulling it up was when goldberg wins the title clean off of hulk hogan spear jackhammer people throwing toilet paper awesome clip and th they talk about yeah just everything that happened with nitro and anyway i'll get to the quote so uh from 
this book, Nitro, by Guy Evans, he says, Lending from a famous commercial for Paul Mitchell hair products, it was determined that the first such vignette would be shown in black and white, a paradoxically new mode of display within the context of a wrestling show. And so, on the July 27th edition of WCW Saturday Night, a four-minute video aired featuring the fearful threesome. Instantly, however, viewers registered that this was hardly any run-of-the-mill promo. And that, that's the end of the quote. And they talk about, of course, like NWO's run. And I didn't understand this at the time that what they were trying to do, I, I guess like, I do kind of remember it, but they were, I mean, I remember the whole thing of like, they're trying to make it look like the WWF is invading WCW. WWF didn't like that, by the way. But also that W, like, that the NWO was paying for these commercials to run on TNT and that, you know, it wasn't something WCW was advocating. And that, that was kind of like what they were trying to go for. But yeah, th- this style of what it's like the black and white and they're all just, you know, it's like cutting to different clips of them standing around talking to each other, uh, brought back a lot of memories looking at that. And yeah, just, I also like looked up the Paul Mitchell hair product commercial. I couldn't find a specific one, but there was definitely one that was like, oh, this seems like one of the NWO commercials. This must be one of the ones that inspired it. Just a fun fact. Didn't know that. Uh, creative lesson here. Don't steal from Vince McMahon. Steal from Paul Mitchell. They talk about this whole thing where WCW didn't have the resources that WWF had. And they weren't going to really beat Vince McMahon at his own game. They were able to get some stars, but they just needed to start doing something different. And with the invasion angle, they knocked it out of the park. That was one of the greatest parts of my childhood is following this invasion angle and then the NWO and then all the different NWOs. That's when it fell apart. But one of the things I remember moving to, I, I think actually it was the summer before we moved to from Japan to the United States, was, why, yeah, it had to be like summer vacation. And then just like seeing WCW on TV, because the we had like some military channels being on a Navy base, and it would only get WWF events. And I think one of the other like international channels had, would show like Monday Night Raw on a Tuesday. It, it, probably wasn't live and yeah and we would also get these pay-per-views for free but it was like i think a week later maybe if if not like a month later and and yeah this just reminded me of knowing that wcw existed but never really seeing footage of it unless we were on summer break and then we moved kind of at the peak of or like at not at the peak but like as the monday night wars were heating up and that just became like one of the first things I was following when we had moved to the United States, and it was an awesome time. All right, last book is called The Daily Laws, 366 Meditations on Power, Seduction, Mastery, Strategy, and Human Nature. I only need 300 of these meditations. I don't need the seduction part anymore. This is a bad joke. I'm reading this not like cover to cover. So this is one, uh, kind of like one of the genres that I've enjoyed lately is there's these different, I think there are like a lot of Christian versions of this and maybe other like religious versions of this where it's a, a daily like Bible verse, that sort of thing. 
but I don't have any of those. So I have the daily laws. Then there's one on stoicism called the daily stoic. That might be like the most popular one. Like not, yeah. That uh, At least on Amazon, it's like one of the most popular daily devotional sort of things. Then I have a few other ones. There's like a, the daily drucker, the daily dominator, and they follow the same format. It's like a quote at the top and then a summarized story and then some either like a summarized story or a commentary on the quote. And then at the bottom, it's like a takeaway or something like that. And I've been trying to think of like, oh, can I write blog posts like this where it's just a quote and then some thoughts and then a takeaway. And that was kind of what I was trying to do in the last one, creative lesson, don't steal from Vince McMahon. And I guess like the creative lesson from this book is, you know, you, you can write one page. But anyway, so about these daily books, I have, yeah, like five of them. There's like the daily Maxwell as well. I wish there was a daily Seth Godin. That would be a good one. I mean, he does actually write a daily blog post, but it would be nice to have a, a collection of them curated for different things. So I'll read these when I remember them. I, I don't have like a habit or routine for reading these every day, but when I remember to, then I'll just go back, like whatever, if I've missed three days of reading it, then I'll just go back to catch up. And yeah, it's nice to see uh, these quotes. It's inspirational. Uh helps me get out of bed. I guess that's, that's what I wrote down in my notes. Uh, because there, I always think of in the daily stoic, there's this Marcus Aurelius quote, which I don't have. That's not the quote that I was going to share for this book because it's not even from this book, but it is just about like, were, were you meant to like lie in comfort under the covers or were you meant to go wake up and go do something? And when I can remember that I'll get out of bed. Uh, otherwise I, I'll lie in bed, but yeah. So daily laws, what I like about this one is it's from a bunch of Robert Greene's different books. He wrote like 48 Laws of Power, Mastery. Uh, I don't think it's 48, but it's like something Laws of Human Nature, uh, 33 on strategy, war and strategy, something like that. So it's a, yeah, it's like pretty good breath. And I'll just get to the quote. He says, for instance... When we look up at the night sky, we can let our minds try to fathom the infinity of space and the overwhelming smallness of our planet, lost in all the darkness. That's the end of the quote. And I guess, yeah, I don't know actually why I wrote this quote down. I was writing these notes the other day, but it is a good one to th think about. Just remember how small we are. And I, I don't know, I'm trying to wing it here. But I can say this does remind me of another one from Judd Apatow's book, Sick in the Head. He has two interviews with Jerry Seinfeld. And in one of them, Jerry Seinfeld talks about how he keeps posters, I think, or like photographs of taken by the Hubble telescope and keeps them either at his desk or on his wall. And what he has them for is he says something like, it's just a reminder of how small we are, like, if you're getting stressed out about today, uh, about something like in the grand scheme of things, is it important? Maybe, maybe it is. And on the other hand, also like to not get too big headed when you succeed at something as well and are, are feeling really great about yourself. I guess if you want to knock yourself down a peg to stay humble, just remember how small you are. Look up at the night sky, but also be impressed with it as well. On that note, I guess another recommendation that I would have 
is there's an interview on the Lex Friedman podcast with Tim Urban of Wait But Why. Really enjoyed that. They talk a lot about like space, the new space race, how inspired they are by people going to space. Uh, and it's not just space. There's also, I, I guess that's where I really like how much that episode covers, where they're talking about things as amazing as space, like ex starting a new civilization on Mars. Wow. And then they go down to Tim Urban's writing habits and how he can't manage to focus for three hours. So he has someone sit next to him watching him. I don't know the exact like logistics of this, but he mentions that one of his teammates sits and like keeps him accountable. Like I think physically watching him uh, for three hours from nine to 12, 9 a.m. to 12. And yeah, I've been trying to focus a little more reading different books on that. And I can talk about that next time, but it feels good to turn the microphone on and thanks for listening. Have a good week.